I'm a Muslim and that's okay presents Gift of the Gab because everybody's got something to say. Hi everyone, may peace be on you all and welcome to another episode of I'm a Muslim and That's Okay. I am back with another Gift of the Gap segment because, you know, I can't stop talking and I love these discussions <laughs> and I have two very special guests with me. All my guests are special, but, you know, um, I, I'm so happy that uh, the both of you, you know, agreed to join me um, because it's not that I haven't had therapists before in my show. I have. But both of you, Sadie Hernandez and Sobia Salim, and, the, and a little preface about Sobia, they are my cousin. I mean, I've known them for a long, 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 long time. <laughs> so, but both of you are te- therapists in training. Um, please tell us a, a little bit about yourselves, the both of you, and what exactly is a therapist in training? I mean, I, I don't know. Sadie, did you want to start or would you like me to go first? Uh, go ahead. Take it away. Um, so my name is Sobia Salim. I'm a queer Muslim. My pronouns are they, slash, she. I'm a family, marriage and family therapist trainee in California who sees individuals, couples, and groups at the LGBTQ Center of Orange County. My passions include couple therapy, sex therapy, psilocybin-assisted harm reduction therapy, and spiritual therapy, especially for the queer community and the Muslim community. Um, and I work with um, Sadie, who is my colleague, and we promote mental health awareness on our Instagram, Sadie and Sophia Therapy. Thank you so much, Sophia. You still haven't told me, told us what's a therapy in. <laughs> I, I like serious thing in my mind. It's like, is it a doctor in residency? I don't know. I have no idea what that means. Yeah. So, um, marriage and family therapy. There's multiple degrees in it. You can get you can get a master's. You can get a doctor in marriage and family therapy. You can get a PsyD in marriage and family therapy. Mm-hmm. And essentially, there's a clinical component that you need to cl- complete before graduation. Oh, um, uh, and the B- board of behavioral services, the BBS, uh, assigns and kind of regulates how many hours you need to do before graduation. Oh, so, as nice. you're seeing clients before graduation, you're referred to as a trainee. Once you graduate, you um, apply for an associate number, Mm -hmm. and then you're considered an associate before your licensure. Then you're a licensed LMFT, licensed marriage and family therapist. I see. (laughs) Now, now, I mean, again, I might not know the specifics of it, but again, I can can see the steps now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So please, Sadie, tell us about yourself. Yeah, so a lot of what Sobia said, (laughs) where... On, we're at the same program for school. We're at the same place for work. Um, so um, just like Sobia, I'm a second year graduate student. We're graduating in December, hopefully moving into associateship after that. Um, but we're both studying marriage and family therapy, uh, both working at the LGBTQ Center in Orange County. Um, I work similar to Sabia again with individuals, with couples. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the people that we see, for the most part, they come in to work with us because they want a therapist who is affirming of their sexual orientation or their gender identity. That doesn't necessarily mean they're coming in to talk about the fact that, you know, they're struggling with their sexual orientation or the fact that they're gay. It's just that they have issues finding a therapist elsewhere who is affirming. Right. And so um, that is what I do. And I've been there since January. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been great. Right. 
Um, and I think it's, I mean, it's so great what the both of you do. But I think especially because um, it is something that is so poorly understood. As somebody who's cis-heteronormative, we don't really understand when we come across the discussion or somebody who is from the LGBTQ plus community, we are, our, our brain freezes. Let's be honest. We don't know, we don't understand how to move forward with this. So I think it's amazing that the both of you work with the LGBTQ plus community, apart from that, um, that you also do couples therapy, sex therapy is what you said. Is, is that, isn't that correct, Sylvia? I think yeah. it's amazing. But the reason why I, I had both of you here, it's because I wanted to have this discussion about the work both of you do with the LGBTQ plus community. I think if I had to start someplace, I think what is the one most common issue that the both of you see when you see individuals who are from the queer community um, that come to you? Oof, that's a tough <laughs> question. <laughs> you know, I recently did a presentation for my graduate program um, where I was talking about uh, queer issues and couples therapy, right. actually. And the chapter that I was reading for the presentation talked about, it sort of gave this like a uh, example in the beginning of the text and goes, what if you were asked to sort of sum up the problems that you would come across when you're seeing heterosexual couples, right? right. right. Like, what is the number one problem you think you would see? Um, and, and it basically was to point out that the way that we look at queer people, queer couples mm -hmm. is really different than how we look at heterosexual people, because with heterosexual people, we realize, of course, they're not a monolith. There's so much intergroup diversity, right? Right, right. And so similar to heterosexual people, I think the same is true with queer people, which obviously I think everybody, you know, here in this space like recognizes. Right. Um, but I guess if I had to point out one of the commonalities that I see, I think it's a lot of struggling with a lack of acceptance from family and friends. And I think a lot of that sort of spills over into other issues in their life. Right. That can lead to things like depression, anxiety, mm -hmm. or the lack of acceptance um, could have really compounded into some form of trauma, relational trauma, right. and all of that is sort of affecting their quality of life or their relationships. Right, right. I mean, yeah. I can completely see that um, because, again, somebody who is cis, straight, heteronormative, um, it's not something that we have been programmed to be exposed to. Um, yeah. I'm really old. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be lying. I'm really old. Okay. Basically a dinosaur, especially in the environment I grew up in Pakistan. Um, there was a certain expectation that you had to exist in a certain way. Black sheeps of any type were very rarely tolerated. Do you find that, that that is still a problem, especially when that comes to the queer community? We are in 2021, but uh, I mean, I don't know how far, how far we've come. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it depends also on like who the person is that you're talking about. And so, um, you know, if you're, and, and it depends from person to person, right? But like if I'm looking at um, 
a queer minor who's right. um, cis and white, right. you know, there might be some some room for diversity there because right. several other of their identities are like dominant positions. Right. But um, if I'm looking at a you know a trans woman of color, mm-hmm. um, it's still kind of dangerous out there. Right. You know, trans women of color have like really high homicide rates in the U.S. Right. Um, so. Yeah, it, it, it sort of depends a little bit. I think uh, the other thing I wanted to ask is that, yes, being a part of the com- queer community, it's definitely comes with its risks. I think what I want to hear from the both of you is that what are the risks that queer, it doesn't matter, adult, youths, what are the risks that they face, whether they are white or whether they're from minority groups? A lot. <laughs> a lot of here's, that's yeah. the reason I asked this question. Mm-hmm. People don't understand because they exist with such harsh biases mm-hmm. that they don't exist that, that they don't understand that it comes with so many risks. And I want the both of you to tell me, my audience, what those risks are. Um, yeah, I mean, Sadie and I can both speak to some of the the mental health risks that come. Um, with being queer, especially for queer um, youth. There's higher rates of depression, there's higher attempted suicides, there's higher rates of suicide. Um, There's just higher levels of anxiety. And all of that, you know, um, can be correlated to to social acceptance or lack thereof, family acceptance, lack thereof, um, and just how existence is navigating these systems that are not designed for people who look like them, who love like them, who live like them, you know? Right, right. Like, both of you also uh, work with LGBTQ plus youth who come from faith backgrounds. And I think that is another important discussion that seems to get glossed over, especially within the Muslim community. I can't speak for the Christian community because I'm not part of it. But um, there is a definite like uh, increased bias if you are queer and if you are Muslim. If you, if the both of you could tell me, like, when you work with the youth who come from faith-based backgrounds, um, what are some of the problems that they come with? And um, uh, let, let answer that question first, then we'll get to the second part. Um, I, I mean, I think what you find is a lot of people struggling, a lot of adolescents struggling to reconcile these beliefs that they were raised with and that they are constantly surrounded with. Right. And than reconciling who they are and knowing that who they are isn't going to be accepted. And even more than that might be ridiculed. They might be punished for it. They might be kicked out of their home for it. Um, You know, adolescents who are queer, I think I was reading the other day, I'm not even sure how this works out mathematically because I'm not good at math, (laughs) but there's like 120 percent um risk of homelessness for queer youth so i think when we're even talking about the acceptance component for queer Mm -hmm. people queer adolescents i think a lot of that comes from the fact that religion specifically christianity in america Mm -hmm. um really pushes a certain kind of model of what should be right when we're talking about like the black sheep i do think christianity informs a lot of what conformity should look like. And so we're really coming up against um, really powerful influences when we're working with queer adolescents. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 in especially hard for the Muslim community and Muslim youth who are queer. Um, there's a lot of ostracization. There's a lot of shunning. There's a lot of um, this, you know, being put in the position where you have to supposedly choose. Right. You know, there's not a right. lot of resources out there. There's things like the Queer Crescent and there's various Instagram accounts that are accepting and um, kind of encompass and embrace queer Muslims. But it, it seems like you have to hide this portion of yourself or just even being raised and socialized in these two different ways, right? Right. Where it almost feels like, okay, if I accept this part of my identity, I'm evil, but this is all I know. And so right. there's this huge sense of like existential dread, um, internal moral conflict, cognitive dissonance, and, you know, the hope is that, that that kind of resolves as time goes on or is resolved. But for a lot of people, especially who are young, they're, they're in the thick of it, you know. Right, right. Mm. And I think if I had to ask a question, is that if somebody comes from, from a faith-based background, um, either Christian, Muslim, or whichever faith-based background, um, they're definitely struggling. How do the both of you help with this? Because I that's the thing, I, I'm... I can't perceive it, but I want to know what is the kind of help that the both of you give or anybody can give that they can that that they can be okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely want to hear Sabia's thoughts on this. But the first thing that that comes to my mind is, um, you know, Sabia and I lead a, a group at the LGBTQ Center called Queering Faith. Mm-hmm where we basically have clients from, you know, whichever faith background um, come in and talk about reconciling those religious beliefs, their faith backgrounds with the queer experience. And in my opinion, I think the fact that we get to set up a group like this is one of the biggest healing components. Right. Because they get to see that they're not alone in struggling with those maybe internalized homophobic beliefs. Mm. Um, And I think not feeling alone is so powerful in therapy. And obviously when you're one-on-one therapy, you don't get that as much as when you're in group therapy. So the fact that we are able to provide that, I think is a huge part of, of unpacking all of that traumatic stuff. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, to echo what Sadie said, community is so, so powerful and it can be interfaith community as well. Because a lot of what happens is for queer people um, of faith is they feel like they lose their community, especially faith-based communities are so tight and tightly knit that when you lose that, you feel like you lose your sense of who you are, your identity, where you belong. And um, much of the queer community is not religious, not all of it. You know, there's obviously overlap, but when you go there you you feel like you're you're not understood that's what i've heard from a lot of clients a lot of people it's like oh but these people don't understand like you know how how do i explain to them how i was raised how do i explain the community i came from right and then um like sadie was saying individually a lot of it is giving them that space to echo their thoughts giving them that validation because they've essentially lost um footing with this grounding um feeling and you know, helping them process, I think that's the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. most people struggle with like, what does this mean? Am I a bad person? Where am I going? How do I um, reconcile these two parts of myself? Um, and so just walking them through, I think a lot of people when they they have these two identities, especially if they hold both of them, right. they tend to feel like they lose connections with loved ones. Right, right. Family is a big theme that comes up over and over. Everybody wants to talk about family. I, right. I feel like my family relationships are stressed. Do people still see me as family? Am I ruining my family? 
right? Right, right. And so um, therapy offers a place for unconditional positive as well as um, self-awareness and kind of finding out what you're going through. So, right. yeah. And, and to add like the last piece of that, you know, when you have the group, com- the relational component or the community component and the processing com- component, I think the last of it is really the empowerment component, which is to ask first, do you get a say in how you reconcile your background, your faith background or your beliefs with who you who you are, what your sexual orientation is, what your gender identity is? And if you do get a say, what do you want that to look like? And I think a lot of people don't get asked that question because mm-hmm. they think that they have to choose. It either has to be who I am or what I was raised to believe. And right. when you choose to walk away from what you were raised to believe, like Sobia said, you lose that community. You get ostracized mm-hmm. and right. that's really hard to deal with. And so empowering people to say, maybe you have a choice and you maybe neglected to see that you have a choice and how you move forward and how you reconcile these things. And I think that's like a really powerful thing too, for those who are struggling with being queer and right. um, how their religion interprets that. Um, exactly what Sadie's saying. I, I love that you said that by the way, because so many of the narratives I've been getting recently from people from queer based, uh, from faith based backgrounds is like, I, I was outed or something happened or, oh, wow. you know, um, people found out I was queer or someone at school spread it or whatever, like word got around okay. the community. Okay. And then I had to leave that community oh, for wow. safety, for safety for my family, for reputation, for fill in the blank, whatever, right. For themselves okay. or their family. Right. And, um, or, you know, people tell me I can't be a queer Muslim. And like Sadie was saying, mm-hmm. what if you ask them the question, why not? Like who, right. who, who, who decides, right? right. Um, and can, do you have the agency to decide for yourself? And then giving them that agency if they don't have it, helping them find that within themselves. Mm. And I think that's what my next question is. For those that are from faith-based backgrounds, and you had mentioned that um, a lot of them, you know, some, uh, uh, some of them are, are religious, others are not. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have people who reconcile their faith and the fact that they are queer? Um, we, so I can speak a little bit to that and I'm sure Sadie can add. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we were creating this group, Queering Faith, mm-hmm. um, at the center, one of the things that we worked together to do is we created a resource Mm-hmm. paid for various different faiths like we had sections for like christians people who were catholic people who were jewish people who were muslim so on and so forth um people who were um sikh and um there are pastors who are queer and mm-hmm. christian there mm-hmm. are communities where you have there's like islamic gatherings where you talk mm-hmm. about faith that are muslim and queer you have um temples and synagogues that are accepting um i know people who are non-binary um, you know, uh, who present very strongly non-binary mm-hmm. um, in a way that, that that can't be written off as, you know, um, either gender, who are fully embraced and accepted and welcomed. Um, so I think it is possible to have both. And I think there are spaces. I think sometimes um, we just need to dig a little bit to find them. But once you find one or two people, the networks are there. Okay. Now, I would love to have a, like a link to that resource. I would like to put in the show notes. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask, so you do work with the youth, with those who are within the queer community. Do you also then reach back to their family? Because I think one of the biggest things that, you know, happens is, yeah, you lose community, but you're losing immediate family too. 
mother, father, brother, they all they all suddenly lose their mind over this. So do you both of you reach back to family as well to help them? That's a great question. And I think there's like a huge caveat to, to that <laughs> as well, mm-hmm. you know, because when I think, well, first off, I've never personally done that, right? I've never invited family to like mm-hmm. a session to say, hey, how can we come around this person and bring support? The reason why I think there should be a lot of caution to that is mm-hmm. who is the family and what is the harm that they contribute to this individual, right? Because right? right. the first thing you want to do as a therapist is protect your client from harm and right. from receiving those messages that have right. essentially led them to therapy because mm-hmm. they need this help. Right. Um, so I would say when it comes to family, it, it depends. Is the family open? Is mm-hmm. it that they're just confused, that they have questions, maybe they haven't right. gone about it in the right way? Absolutely. There's like a lot of work that can be done with those kinds of families. And then you have families who there's, it's just you either abide by the rules that I have as a parent Mm. or you leave Mm. and there's no wiggle room in that. And I would be skeptical to sort of invite those kinds of families into session because I wouldn't want to expose the individual to more internalized homophobia or, you know, any additional harm. Um, So that's a, that's a tricky one. Right. Yeah, I mean, right, exactly what Sadie said. So you have to also consider confidentiality, right? Especially after the age of 16, it gets a little bit stricter. Um, and, you know, um, how and where and if you need to break confidentiality is usually around, like, if you think there's an imminent threat of, like, self-harm or suicide, mm-hmm. um, more than self-harm or suicide. And so um, some therapists do invite family into the room, but you have to be very careful, um, like Sadie said, how you, you modulate that and you frame it. I've heard of clients who are, you know, I've known clients who are youth and they've had family come in and it's become the safe space of therapy has actually become a place of violence for them. And so there are places where parents can go. Um, The LGBTQ center where we um, work has this thing called the um, trans ally support Mm -hmm. group, where if, you know, you want to find support or um, education in your journey about a loved one who's transgender, non-binary or gender expansive, they have that. So it's usually for friends, family, relatives, you know, anybody who's kind of like, what does this mean? And trying to come to terms with it themselves as well, because that's not labor that the the queer person should be doing right and exactly. so here's spaces for that and i would love a link to that as well sobia i mean <laughs> again it's it's all about understanding and i think all of yeah. our a lot of our fears exist from not understanding and now i come to the weird question okay but it's a question <laughs> that i have to ask because it is from where um the the lack of understanding comes from like you look at me, says heteronormative. If you, if I came up to you and told and asked you, how do you know that so and so is gay? Or I mean, how does so and so know that they're gay? Or I mean, is it a phase? Or what do you mean non-binary? I mean, what does all of how does how does that work? That's what I want to ask the both of you. Like how does it how does it work? I hate to use the word work, but that's the word you're gonna encounter. How does this work? I'm not getting any of this. You can pretend I'm a hillbilly, but you know. (laughs) Are you asking like how does it work to be queer? Like how do you how does like how how do you know you're queer? Okay. 
Like, I mean, I like I like men. Like, how come like whoever so and so doesn't like men? She likes women. How does that work? Um, you know, that's a great question. Um, I think we because we both work with a lot of queer clientele and you know, by the way, if anybody is in California wants services at the LGBTQ center, it's not only for queer clientele, it's open for everybody and there's a sliding scale to just putting that out there. But um, the stories vary from person to person. Some people, it's a slow realization. Mm-hmm. Like something doesn't feel, I don't, you know, feel like everybody else. I'm not reacting right. like everybody else. Um, right. I'm not having these same kinds of reactions like my friends are. Right. Um, for some people, it's clear. Like they, they mm-hmm. always know. Um, right. For some people, they, they always know. Like um, in my case, I just didn't have a word for it. And then when I saw the word and I saw someone else describe their experience, I was like, that's mine. That's my experience too. Like I I can relate to that. Um, And so I think it feels like being, I, I, it's the feeling. Let me make it easier for you. (laughs) I know I threw a lot lot out there, but we're going to go step by step. step, Okay. Um, One identity at a a time. When somebody says (laughs) they're gay. Okay. So how would you explain it to somebody who isn't gay? Like, how can you say that you're gay? I've never been gay. How can you say you're gay? I'm sorry. And I know like that's a terrible way to put it, but um, that's, that's the reasoning that a lot of people come from that, you know, it's, I mean, it's not normal. I don't see it in movies. How can, (laughs) like, how does it exist? I don't understand. I appreciate your commitment to this role of <laughs> the person who is extremely ignorant. Extremely <laughs> ignorant. Um, you know, I think this is like a good example of like privilege, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right. Whether you're heterosexual or you're right. cis, right. Um, you carry a lot of privilege. And that privilege mm-hmm. comes from the fact that you've never had to deal with not having language to describe what is going on. inside you not having a template in society for what could be for who you're attracted to or who Mm -hmm. you feel that you are right um and so if I had to answer the question like well how does it work to know I would say it and I don't I I hope this isn't like a cop-out answer but I almost hope in an ideal world it wouldn't have to work a certain way because there would be templates for people to see who I am who I am attracted to who I love is normal right Right. and it is common because I see models of it everywhere so then you wouldn't have people who are asking how does it work because it's just who you are and I think the reason why we use um like language, like, oh, how does this work? How do you mm-hmm. know? It's because we And again, live- my apologies, a terrible no. term, yeah. but it, it's no, no, no. Uh, unfortunately where a lot of people come from. And I know this because I've encountered other people saying it that way. And I feel terrible inside because I have a lot of queer friends and I know it hurts them right. that their their identity is not, a. It, it's, it's like an object. It's like a fad that other people consider it to be. When it's mm-hmm. not, it's a part it's of right. who they are. Yeah. I mean, Go ahead, Sylvia. No, when I hear you ask the question, I, I, like, like Sadie, I want to like deconstruct the question almost in itself, and I'm trying hard not to because that's where like my, like, desire to go is too. But um, I think in order to be ready to get an answer for the question, you have to be able to hold some empathy. 
Right. Because it feels just like being straight. Right. Like, I mean, it, for, for, for a woman, for a cis woman to love a man feels straight. It's the same as like for a man who's gay to love another man. It feels the same, but you have to hold empathy in that right. like externally it looks different. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it's the and same. I, I think that's the answer I needed to hear uh, for this because other people don't understand the fact that it's all a matter of holding empathy for it. Yeah, you don't have to follow the same, um, like, it, just be, it's like, it's like saying that if I encounter somebody who's gay, I'm not going to become gay. It's not how that works. It's, it's, um, it's not an external influence thing. It's a very internal, you exist with it. It's not something that, that is taught or, um, it's something that you pick up from TV. I, this is a, one of those objections that I hear from a lot of, especially parents that exist in the Muslim community. A um, lot of uh, these younger kids shows that, you know, um, I think one of them was Shira. Um, she's a lesbian, has a lesbian relationship. And one of the parents I know was scandalized by this. They showed it on TV. Like You've been seeing kissing in t- kids shows for a while now. It's just that it's been straight all this time. It doesn't, I mean, Uh, That's the thing. Most people don't understand that just because your child sees it on TV, it doesn't mean one way or the other. If they're gay, they're gay. If they're not, they're not. So I'd like to address that misconception. I've I've heard that a lot, too. I'm sure Zania has as well. Like if we expose our children to the gays or the queer Mm -hmm. or the lesbians or the trans community, they will become of that community. And that's not how it works. How it works is your child is who they are. Right they're going to feel safe enough telling you right. and not internalizing it and then having mental health issues like depression or taking mm-hmm. their life and you don't know why or turning to substances in order to alleviate pain or have an exit strategy out of a life they don't feel safe in. So it's not about like these things it, it are contagious somehow. It's just, do people feel safe enough to voice their, their who they are and who, you know their views? And right. so it's about creating safety, which is important, right? Right. Mm. And uh, that's that. I mean, I think that's what I want people to understand as well. Um, it's it's our own lack of understanding for a lot of these things. And as things come out, uh, people also view these as fads. Um, when we were uh, when I grew up in Pakistan, um, the transgender community has always been historically been a part of our 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 culture. They have been um, like one of those taboo uh, subcultures, but they've always existed. So for us, acceptance of especially trans women has mm-hmm. has it, it has a less of a barrier than for somebody who grew up probably in a different culture where they were not exposed to it. So if the trans, uh, I'm not trans culture, but somebody who's trans is still something very new for somebody over here. That's why they view it with so much suspicion. And somebody who's also non-binary, I think it's one of those things that people are really grappling with it. But I think it's, I it's so wonderful the way you put it, is that if you really want to understand it, you have to have empathy for it. The other thing I wanted to ask, um, and it's again coming from places where you know people from faith-based background, even if you disagree with it, can you hold empathy for it? <laughs> I know it's a loaded question, You're but I have to ask it. I had today. to ask it because that's what I'm here for. You know, uh, 
it's my opinion that that you can. Okay. But here's the thing, and I can only really speak to Christianity because that's mm -hmm. sort of what I'm more familiar with. Right. But in certain religions, you have this idea that in order that for you to empathize with something like being queer, it means that you are tolerating or accepting it or saying right. it is okay. Right. And so I think what you have is a lot of religious people who say, if I empathize, that means that this person will think it's okay. And right. apparently, God forbid, that people <laughs> accept themselves. <laughs> that would be the worst thing to some religious people. Right. Not a lot, not, not every religious person is like that. Obviously, there are a lot of religious people who have huge amounts of empathy for the queer community and are, you know, taking up both spaces. Right. Um, but it is my opinion that you can of course you can have empathy like be religious and have empathy for the queer community even be queer yourself right um, but then you also have the other side of the spectrum in which people from religious backgrounds think that to empathize means to say it's okay and that would mean doing something that isn't in line with their religious beliefs right um you know, it's 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 interesting because I, I've been struggling with this as I've been coming out more with people mm -hmm. in my family in social circle or they're like, well, and I, I think it's totally possible. I think it's okay for you to be like, this is not something I would do or right. I feel comfortable with. Right. But you know, you do you and I love you and I respect you. And, and you know, in terms of religious communities, I think about like religious communities interacting with each other, right? Mm -hmm. right. Um, if you're a Muslim and you have friends your friends with a Christian person, essentially you are doing the same thing. Like I'm assuming uh, to exactly. some degree, right? Like you believe exactly. that this person's views are different and not the same and not views that you would have. Right. But you have the ability, empathy requires some level of respect and right. dignity and, and right. understanding that this person is human like I am, even though they have different views, right. it doesn't require you to take on their views. I right. think just like Sadie said, that's the difference. Right. And I that's the thing that's what i want people to really um hear and understand coming face to face with with now um and i mean i i hate to even put it that way but there's there's a lot of this perception that oh um like it's the the queer movement is is just now like it's spread everywhere and you know it's going to take over i don't know like some like queer agenda, <laughs> that's the queer agenda. That that's one of those things that you hear so sure. often. It's the queer yeah. agenda. Like y'all are taking over the world. And I don't know, dude. What like rainbows everywhere? <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> but um, it's one of those things that um, people need to understand that you know we interact with, especially now, globalized community. You interact with people, so many different kinds of people that you don't necessarily have common beliefs with, but you can really be be a decent civilized human being with another person even if you don't agree with them necessarily mm. so yeah. i mean and that's that's the thing that's why i want i needed the both of you to be here because i think the work the both of you do is so great it was a long time coming um because i've seen it i've personally seen those who are part of the the queer community um struggling when i was growing up um i knew some of them and now at least they have some visibility they they know that especially the internet the internet is a blessing because even if they are not ready to come out they can find 
more resources for themselves and you know they have people like you that they can come to ask for advice anything that they can get so please for everybody who's listening i would love it if you could tell us um where they can find the both of you um and i will definitely put it, be putting your links in the show notes all the links that you have you guys have provided so uh, where can where can they find you on instagram or where can they find you uh, do you have a website um, yeah, we have an Instagram where we, we promote mental health. It's um, the, the screen handle is Sadie and Sophia. That's S A D I E Sadie and Sophia S O B like boy I A therapy Sadie and Sophia therapy on Instagram. I'll definitely put that putting that in in the show notes um, and the links that you have provided to. Really, um, the point of my gift of the gap is to really be able to have. And the, the difficult discussions that people are generally not, they're not sure how to have. And I know I put y'all in, a, in the spot more than once. So, but I think um, it's, it's important that people hear this, that the way we are towards the queer community, it has to change. And it takes, the change comes from greater understanding. And I'm so glad that the both of you could help me contribute to some of that. I'm so very grateful. And thank you to everybody who's been listening in and watching uh, this on YouTube. Thank you so much. And you guys take care of yourself and may peace be on you all. Thank you so much for tuning in to I'm a Muslim and That's Okay. And if you wish to follow my social media for more updates, you can follow me on Instagram, on Facebook, and on YouTube. All the links to those are in the show notes. And if you are on Apple or on Spotify or on Podchaser, please do give my podcast a five-star rating. It really does help get me, you know, in the public eye. And if you wish to donate to support the podcast, you can do so through the PayPal link in my show notes as well. Take care.